Hello and welcome to the Shock Horror Podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to hear your voice. I'm so excited to talk today. Just loving getting lost. Um, so why is, so why is that the first time that? Why is that the first time anyone's ever said that? <laughs> because people don't don't tell the truth about how they feel, but not this girl. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, just to let you know, I haven't got a sore throat or anything. I'm just, um, I'm not, I've not had any negative uh, vaccine effects apart from, for some reason, Good. just being a bit chesty. So uh, mm-hmm. sorry if I keep clearing my throat every now and again. And also there is a new feature on stereo. If you've updated your phone, you'll see it. If you, um, like when you get a message through, if you press mm-hmm. the message button, um, oh, which I haven't. Oh, I haven't updated the app. Hang on a minute. I'm going to swap over phones um, to my updated app. So bear with me one second. I am still here. Okay. I'm in. I'm in. Can you hear me? I can. Excellent. I've just swapped phones. Isn't that clever? Wow, that's so cool. Modern technology. So I've just gone onto the phone that is a little bit more uh, up, which I did the update on. So basically, mm-hmm. if I hit the mess, if I hit the messages now, it gives me incoming messages. So now you don't have to have verification. You can just approve the messages as you want. It actually comes up with the message and like the text of the message. So you can actually Even read better. what people are saying before you approve it. Amazing. And then you know whether or not you should take it early so that we don't like have to retroactively go back. We can keep everything in real time. Exactly. Or you can tell whether it's just someone making a fart noise. (laughs) (laughs) This is very true. Yeah. Or some child who's doing something real weird. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. So that's good. Right. I've swapped over phones. I'm all good. Right. I'm ready to go. I am ready to go. Yes. I'm so glad that you were able to get the vaccine and that you're not having any, you know, too bad adverse symptoms because it's just exciting for you to be moving forward. And I'm happy that you're safe. Goodness me, yes, I'm very excited. Uh, do you know when you're going to get yours? Or if you're going to get uh, it I'm, at all? I'm not sure when I can, because in California, it's a little bit harder to get to without the pre-existing conditions. And, of course, okay. I really don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to take from anyone, yeah. because I could probably call up my doctor and say, hey, like, I used to have asthma 100 years ago. You think you can throw me a note? But I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wait. Well, I'm going to wait it's until such a, it's safe. It's such a strange situation here, because... Uh, in my area where I live, mm-hmm. uh, that we had uh, a bolt of the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, which is the Oxford one, which is made in the UK, and they had a uh-huh. batch of it that was going to go bad because it spoils, doesn't it? It goes off. Right. And um, they had a whole batch of it, and they were ringing around because uh, I went That's on. Good. I went onto the waiting list, uh, not for mm-hmm. any reason. I just thought I'll just go on the waiting list and get it a little bit quicker before I go back to London. And they called right. me up and said, "We've got." some spare vaccine if you want it and I'm like okay I'll be down in 10 minutes perfect yeah that's what I've been hearing is what's starting to happen now so I am going to be on the lookout to go because I know that they like have a lot and that some of it can go bad so they do want to get rid of or they do want to make sure people can have access to it so it doesn't get wasted 
But that's great. I'm mm-hmm. stoked. We're so close to the world we being are. quasi-normal again. <laughs> exactly. Talking of the world being normal or the world being abnormal, uh, mm-hmm. today's franchise um, is a good one, in my opinion. Totally agree. Totally agree. I never really got in too hard. And as I was going through this time around, I was like, you know what? They're, these movies are something. And this kind of stuff, while it doesn't maybe scare me in the conventional sense, they're doing a really good job with the filmmaking to, to throw me off constantly, which I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And also, it is very, very exciting to have a horror universe i.e. a series mm-hmm. of movies connected together, a bit like they do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in the horror mm-hmm. genre, it's really good, it's exciting. And, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's clever how they've used the main franchise, i.e. the Conjuring movies, to mm-hmm. introduce those characters, have them have like a spin-off film, mm-hmm. and then to tie them all together in like a sort of, you know, loop and a bow, which is really good. And I can't wait to see what happens next. But oh, uh, Me either. I totally agree. It's nice to have a world that isn't just about the, uh, what's the word? Like, just about the trilogy, right? Like, it truly is about expanding to different stories that all have a common thread. And I do, I was loving following that thread this time through, watching them in succession and having them all together you know, without having to wait a year and a half between films. It was really exciting. Exactly. Now, The Conjuring, the original movie, came out in 2013. Now, I, I think the time. reason why this was sort of the start, if, if you think of Green being the start of, you know, a new era for the slasher, I do feel like mm-hmm. The Conjuring introduced a new era for horror, i.e., uh, from the conjuring, you went on. To, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that mantle actually slightly to Insidious. Yeah. But I think the yes. conjuring, you know, Insidious was the Insidious was the foundation, but the conjuring was the, you know, the 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 building that was built on yes. those foundations. Well, and I feel like Insidious. Like yeah. Yeah. But I feel like Insidious mm. is a place where James Wan discovered that he could really do this, that he could really truly build a universe because people really did latch on to that trilogy that he was able to make with Insidious. And I think mm. he didn't really know how, how much people were going to be in on it because I remember a lot of people when Insidious was coming out being like, oh, I just like don't care about those kinds of movies. Like they're not scary. And I remember just on an afternoon, the Friday that it came out being like, yeah, I kind of agree. You know, I haven't, since The Exorcist, I haven't really cared too much about this kind of horror movie. But, you know, I'm going to go check it out. And I just remember <laughs> leaving that theater and being like, that was one of the scariest PG-13 movies I, I think has ever existed. It was so good. And I remember oh feeling the exact same way when I saw The Conjuring. Like, holy shit, to take this thing and, like, actually figure out how to visually make it as horrifying as you're telling me it should be. Versus, like, mm. the 80s versions of these things, which are, like, so surface, it's very hard to connect. The stuff gets under your skin. So good. Mm. No, absolutely. And I think with Insidious, uh, I mean, I think Insidious has one of the scariest uh, moments in film ever. You know, that sequence when 
they're just around the kitchen table having a conversation and then the guy and yes. then he, the mother looks across and the demon is like behind her son it is oh. terrifying it's like that absolutely I think that, that moment really made my heart sort of leave my chest it was excellent but coming oh, into the conjuring so mm-hmm. like obviously i think it's important that we talk about like the true story in which the conjuring is based on now i say true story um mm-hmm. this is very loosely based on events that took place in the 1970s involving ed and lorraine warren um mm-hmm. um paranormal investigators so to speak although uh, ed warren was actually one of the only uh sort of demonologists that was acknowledged by the catholic church which i always found That's really right. interesting yeah i wonder what it was with it... him that they i wonder what it was That's what I mean. about him yeah it had to have been some sort of level of uh maybe shared respect because i guess what I'm, you know, coming to learn of these things is that, like, you know, the Catholic Church really does maybe not want to be wrong. So even if, you know, in some of these movies when they're kind of using all of the tropes of demonology but not necessarily exploring sort of, like, what's what could be behind it and, and how it affects families, that's sort of, like, mm. what I think the Warrens, at least it, it appears in the film, that the Warrens were interested in protecting. And so maybe that's part of it you know like they are a couple and doing this as a family basically because you know as the franchise goes on their their kid will share in this in their great skill and so there's something interesting about maybe the fact that they're such a tight ass family of faith absolutely and and, you know i think it tells uh especially in the films that they are a tight family unit and therefore they look out and see other family units that are in danger, in trouble mm-hmm. from these invasions of their home. And it's almost yes. like they are very um, empathetic towards those families and therefore they want to do as mm-hmm. much as they can to help. You know, I think that right. really comes out in um, the first and second film because you've got the, yes. those two films are so based and about family that uh, mm-hmm. it's actually really nice to see. The original Conjuring opens up, obviously, um, I think Ed and Lorraine Warren were known for two cases at the point when The Conjuring was made. And I think they were most known for uh, Amityville mm-hmm. and they were most known for Annabelle, the haunted right. doll. Right. Have you seen a real picture of Annabelle, <laughs> of the real doll? <laughs> I have. And I, 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 it made me laugh because I thought to myself how that was one I was curious about. Because honestly, I was applying a lot of what I know about psychotherapy to the families in these stories and what was happening here. And when I saw that it was like a low-key Raggedy Ann doll, I was like, now that's the craziest thing I think I've ever heard. Because I thought it had to at least be a porcelain doll, right? Like people had porcelain dolls. You know, yeah. like for it to just be, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what that makes of it, but it did absolutely take me out. And so I do understand that they were like, let's play up horror doll. Did you read it all about the real story of them coming to discover that this doll was haunted? Because yeah. it must've been hard for them too to look at a Raggedy Ann and be like, no way. Raggedy Ann is such a sweetheart. She's so simple. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that thing, isn't it, of... Um... 
of a, a, an ordinary sort of inanimate object containing mm-hmm. such a presence and such evil. And they re- that really comes across in the opening of the movie. You know, like you have the student nurses uh, yes. that, you know, stupidly uh, contacted Annabelle, a young girl that died in their apartment, and they allowed mm-hmm. her into the doll. Now, they allowed her into the doll suggests that they owned the doll in the first place. Now, this is what confused right. me about the Annabelle law. Um, okay. So they allowed the doll in... They allowed the spirit of the girl of Annabelle into the doll in the first place, and then obviously the doll took against them because right. it turned... <laughs> Who would own that doll in the first place? Seriously. <laughs> I mean, at least that that does make sense. Someone would have a Raggedy Ann doll if they had what the Annabelle doll ends up looking like on screen. No one would keep it. Nobody would. No. I've just put a picture of the real Annabelle doll on my Instagram. So if anyone wants to <laughs> go over to my yes. Instagram and have a look at what the real Annabelle doll looks like, I think you'll be really surprised. It, like, it's like the sweetest thing. It looks like butter wouldn't melt in its mouth. And yeah, it, yes. Supposedly, has committed some heinous acts. So, the Annabelle case that they are known for in IRL is is the young nurses. Is it the story of young nurses letting something into mm-hmm. a doll? Okay, so that's yes. the only piece that's that's like based in a real experience, and then the franchise will kind of expand upon that for mm-hmm. things like creation and all of that. Is that right? Yeah, so what they do is they take sort of the nugget of the truth. So um, having read The Demonologist, the book about Ed and Lorraine Warren, a lot Mm -hmm. of the stuff that in the films is fat, but it's literally, you know, like the the bones of the story is fat, but the the flesh and the muscle and all that are obviously added on to make it into a Hollywood movie. But the bones are there, you know? It probably wasn't yeah. as exciting or, uh, you know, as action-packed as the real events in the film, but still, still. Yeah. I mean, the Annabelle story is, like, just uh, creepy as hell anyway. And the fact that they keep it in a glass cabinet with uh, mm. warning positively, do not open. You know, it's like, yeah. wow. Yep. Wow. Well, that's the thing, you know, like belief and faith. That's a really interesting part of, you know, what what these movies are exploring, too. And, you know, Mm. seeing a sign on a case uh, that that is that grave. How does that not maybe challenge you to believe it? Right. Just automatically, you know, like it's interesting to, to think about those things, because you know, how I always conceptualized ghost movies was that they were about abuse in families and that abuse could be neglect. It could be like literal abuse, but it's mostly broken families that are preyed upon with these kinds of things. And that there is also some religious merit to that because you know, the church does not want families to be broken. Mm-hmm. So I don't well, know. Well, absolutely. And I'm not a spiritual person. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not religious or spiritual. But the, what, what I take from The Conjuring is the fact that these entities, demons or whatever you want to call them, aren't necessarily, right. are, you know, something that exists around religion, religion but not necessarily connected. I mean, yes. you've got a franchise here 
that basically mm-hmm. says, you know, that demons exist, heaven and hell exist, and yet you have mm-hmm. one of the demons dressed as a nun. <laughs> you well, know, and so it's a... Thing, that's the thing, too, is that they are also trying to not only use, like, maybe Catholicism and its demon understandings, but also, like, the occult, right? Like, in mm. the Annabelle film, uh, you know, when they're sort of take, it's taking place at the same time as cults were really big in California and, you know, mimicking the Manson crime, in comes, I guess, the, the, the girl will come to learn from creation that has been inhabited by Annabelle to commit you know, an occult murder. So mm. it's like they're talking about two different kinds of religions, like, and maybe, I guess, the polar opposites. But that's what's interesting to me about the social element of, you know, the all of these families in turmoil, right? And that's what draws Ed and Lorraine to them. That's also the social commentary, you know, like families with alcoholism, uh, parents black out and they don't realize what happened. They don't realize that sometimes they're the ghost. <laughs> yeah, no, true. And, and in the Conjuring, you know, we have this setup of uh, sort of wiser than white family. Uh, majority yes. of the family are women, which I always found, you know, really interesting in that in that film. You know, like there was like four daughters, and then mm-hmm. like the dad was the only male. And I suppose that they introduced that story. I mean, obviously, that was that was going to be the the plot and the characters because that was what happened in the real life situation. But I love the right. way that they use it in the film because it's almost like the dad has this power powerlessness about him which i really yes. you know feel that in that time and let's just let's just say very quickly that i think the the power of the conjuring movie the first one mm-hmm. comes from the fact that we are dealing with um a country or a situation that we personally are not very knowledgeable knowledgeable about which is mm. the past because the Conjuring is a period drama. Right. You know, and what is scarier than all of these things that we see around us, iPads, iPhones, you know, a way mm-hmm. of communicating with the police, the way of, you know, Googling for information. We're, yep. we're existing in a world in The Conjuring that has none of that. Yes. So it's alien. Yeah. So it's alien to us. You know, it really is. And that adds, I think, mm-hmm. another layer of fear to the situation because you know what what would we do in that situation you know when you watch a horror movie like scream or you know any of these films you you're constantly thinking oh what would i do in that situation well i wouldn't run up the stairs you know and all Mm -hmm. these things but in the conjuring you can't really you know you can't really have that thought process because they don't have the equipment or they don't have the means that Mm -hmm. you have watching this film because you're watching it in 2021 so I right. think that really is um, part of why I find The Conjuring very creepy. And also the style I, of it. I agree. It, you know that opening? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the opening dialogue, like the um, sort of the written words on the screen, and mm-hmm. then it sort of scrolls down and you see The Conjuring uh, opening credits. The music. Like the logo. The music. It's perfect. It, mm-hmm. It's smacked of 1970s cinema. In fact, I was sitting watching it going... I paused it and I googled, is there a way to turn um, digital 
into 35 millimeter because I was thinking if there's an app to do that, I'm going to convert this movie into 30, 35 millimeter and watch it yes. like it would be if it was actually in the 70s. Oh, that would be, I would love to join you for that. If you can figure that out, let yeah. me know. I, I'll, I I'll go in on that with you. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, if any yeah, of you guys I, out there know of any way to do yes. that as well, that would be amazing. Yes. I mean, I totally agree with you that, you know, part of what makes these scary is they feel real because they are placed in a time when it would be easy to believe they were real because we don't have all this access to doubt things. And in present day, I feel like that's why I don't love the present day versions of these movies where something is being haunted or there is a demon present because everybody just goes right to the mental institution, right? Like there's just a character who is somewhere in a mental institution that everyone's like, well, they're crazy because they saw this ghost. And it's sort of like, yeah, I guess that's also the commentary is that like in modern times, it gets discounted. And so nobody believes. And what's kind of amazing about The Conjuring is it's this wonderful world where people do believe, especially Ed and Lorraine. They're, they're not looking to humiliate you. They believe in this stuff and they're looking to make sure they can protect you from it. And that's just a theme that doesn't get to show up in the modern versions. No, I agree. Totally. And you're right about those horror tropes of one day. You know, if there's a, you know, for example, a huge uh, plot point in the original Conjuring is them mm-hmm. finding out about what had previously happened in the house, you know, with the uh, the woman that was accused of witchcraft and, mm-hmm. and all those sort of um, events surrounding that. You know, mm-hmm. if it was a modern day movie, they'd just go onto their phone and Google it. You know, it'd be over that part of the film would be what five minutes? <laughs> yep. But yeah, in it would literally the conjuring, be a scene. it takes legwork. It takes legwork to come up with those um with those plot points. Well, and that's the thing too, is that you really had to be invested in order to I guess overcome these things. Because another challenge I have here is that like I don't like that there is that there isn't a a real way to win, right? That like essentially when I am watching these stories, I'm just waiting for like what the next chain in the link will be because I know that these people are not winning. No one wins, right? Mm. And that's kind of what's nice about The Conjuring is that it's like they don't actually have to defeat these demons. They just push them out of the person who is being dealt with, who they're dealing with in this moment. And that's really the most anyone can do. And that gets Mm. to feel satisfying in the conjuring, they pay attention to that in a way where they're just always doing a last scare again in the modern versions, which is just like what this is a total throwaway because there's no emotion attached to it. Oh, I agree. In the conjuring, it feels like um, after the first one and even after the second one, it feels like Ed and Lorraine have won the battle, but but have never are never going to win the war. Right, right, and that. You know? That, to me, I think also makes it equally as scary, right? Like this idea that in a slasher, you know, it's a human killer. And more often than not, you're going to kill them or you're going to figure it out, I guess, minus Freddy and Jason because they're, you know, absurd. But, you know, in the modern version, it's a human. When you're dealing with a spirit that can take many forms, that has the ability to hide in ways you can't imagine, we have to just try to do our best to survive this encounter, you know? Yeah. No, exactly. I, I completely agree with you. And um, one thing I do really, really, really like about the Conjuring film is mm-hmm. that 
um, especially in the first one, not so much in the second one. I'm not entirely sure why they lost this uh, element of it, but those opening sequences, you feel like you are uh, watching a film from the 1970s. You know, there's a lot of lot yes. of shots where they're, you know, um, the little girl is sitting in the distance and the camera sort of pans forward very slowly so, so yep. you can see her in the distance. There's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of camera work that is yes. um, used in 1970s movies, which I think is is great. Right. You know, it's, it's really um, beautiful filmmaking that both kind of like pays homage to the time and finds a way to authentically help us connect to it. Because, you know, you're right, it's the filmmaking. But I, I was also really entranced by the color this time around. Because, you know, in quarantine, mm. with a bazillion hours, I've been watching a lot of movies from the 60s and 70s just because, you know, I'm visiting actors early in their career and being like, oh, my God. Um, and so I've been yeah. watching films of that time. And for, for James Wan to, like, nail the way the cameras moved at that time and to nail the, way, the colors that were popping in those eras... It was so cool to watch. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this, this does need to be in 35 millimeter because it would work. I think it would fit perfectly. I would love to see um, those films in 35 millimeter. I mean, maybe he can I restore that, them. Um, you know, he might be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um, there are probably cinemas out there. I would I think like um, uh, there's a, there's a cinema in London and uh, Shani mm-hmm. B, I'll take you to it when you come and visit. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. the Prince Charles Cinema and it's an independent cinema in London and mm-hmm. they show a lot of films in 35 millimeter, if not every film. Uh, they don't. Yes. They obviously show new releases, but they uh, they also show a lot of old movies um, as well. So. Uh, just to nice. let you know, guys, we are receiving your messages. I, I, this new system of messages uh, in the update is really confusing me. I thought that we had to. I thought the messages come up and then we select them, but it actually, actually doesn't. We have to moderate them and then select them. I didn't realise that, so mm. I do massively apologise. People are messaging me, going, "I've, I've sent a message and it's not going through." It, it, it has come through. I, I'm just trying to work out this new update. I do apologise. I love it, though. In real time, we can all learn together. Exactly. Let's see if I can play a message. Bear with me. Oh, okay. So if you click, um, if you click the play button, it mm-hmm. comes up with, a, a, with an option of messages, and then you could... Right, I get it. I get it. So if I select this, what happens? Okay. Right. Got it. <laughs> nice. I kind of think it also adds another layer of unbelievability, though, as well, because, yes, back then you didn't have all these modern devices, but now everyone's got a great camera in their pocket 24-7. Surely, why, where are all these ghosts? Why aren't like people <laughs> sending in really good quality ca- camera footage of ghosts and demons and stuff on a regular basis? Because there must be thousands and thousands, well, billions of ghosts out there um and you know if there ever is footage it's always kind of a bit grainy where you can't really tell and um yeah that just um i don't know that that, that's what kills it for me i well i have to be honest that that is kind of what kills it for me too because i do work in mental health 
So I like the escapism of returning to the 70s and thinking of being a person, you know, in a family that's struggling and what else do we make of these things, right? What do we know? What do we have? What do people believe? And in the modern ones, you know, they go to the mental institution, but then we sort of like degrade them. So I really don't like it there either. But I do, I did think that too, that like, <laughs> there are ghosts everywhere. How come no one's capturing them? Like, we have all this like technology that sees x-rays and all kinds of stuff. And it's true. I haven't seen one yet, but please don't smite me. You know, now I'm nervous that I'm making jokes about it. I'm going to get smited. <laughs> well, I think it's a pixel thing for me. I just think that we have such good cameras now that the pixels are so high that it actually just makes ghosts invisible. So if there's a ghost to my naked eye wow. that I can see standing in front of me, I think that technology has improved so much that you would take a picture and you just wouldn't see it. That's my bullshit. Wow. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. I, mean, I love as much as I love thinking about, you know, the reality and the experience of something like this, if it were true, I also like thinking about, you know, solving those problems because that's ultimately what leads to a great escapist film that is set in reality that feels authentic. And that's what The Conjuring is, right? Like, I know mm -hmm. that it's based on a true story, but I kind of know what that means. And the filmmaking and the acting and the writing keep it in a space where I can escape to this reality and feel grounded, right? Like, they got me jumping. They've got me surprised with the way that this ghost will intrude. And that's kind of interesting, too. Like, the intrusion element. That like, sure. when there's a but problem in a family, it's an intrusive force. Go ahead, go ahead. Absolutely. And I, and I do think that as, up to the point where The Conjuring was released, we had a lot of fatigue. And we've spoken about this before with the horror yes. genre. I think previously to this, obviously, we were talking about Insidious. But previous mm -hmm. to this, it was almost like the obsession with uh, found footage was still yes. going on from Blair Witch Project. You know, like we had the mm -hmm. Wreck films um, mm -hmm. and loads of franchises opened themselves up to that. The horror genre right. before this, and it, and it was zombies, like zombies and found footage. That is literally what the mm -hmm. horror genre consisted of. There wasn't any yes. sort of really yes. strong, like big budget Holly, Hollywood horror movies that were really hitting any notes, with me anyway. Um, I agree. And remakes, of course, and reboots uh, yep. are plenty. I think The Conjuring <laughs> was the first original horror movie in many years that had so mm -hmm. many delicious ingredients. And not only that, but to actually be based on uh, famous, you know, demonologists that mm -hmm. uh, had a reputation. And what like, let's not forget, like Ed and Lorraine Warren were involved in huge profile cases, like Amityville, yeah. the Enfield Poltergeist. A lot of people think, yep. oh, well, they weren't really involved, were they, in the Enfield Poltergeist? You know, they didn't really it's go like... there. They did. <laughs> they, they were there. Well, that's also the part of the genius of The Conjuring 2 is that it appropriately sets itself in the period of the, uh, you know, fathers of this genre, right? Like it's right in the period of where The Exorcist is and the original Amityville horror film that everyone is looking to. And it sets itself there because that's where it belongs, right? Like it authentically yeah. says, like, we are also, you know, one of uh, the fathers of something or just like a father in the modern time. But you know, we were right in the realm of all of the ones that you already look to. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. What do you think of the storyline? The storyline for uh, The Conjuring, the very first movie. 
Like uh, when we move on to the family in the in the farmhouse. I mean, honestly, I feel like that story is often incomplete, but that one does to me feel feel like it's it is exploring sort of the I don't know, like the combination of that sort of like mental health element that could be there, but also the, you know, the haunting element of an energy that can really poison someone. And there's something interesting Mm -hmm. about that to me, because I I don't know, it's not my favorite of the stories, but there's something really nice and authentic just about the way that all of those actors interact. Like they do nail something. And I think that adds to the fear, but the story never really stands out to me. What about you? No, I agree with you. It does feel a little bit incomplete, especially by the end. But I do think it is the performances that really make that film. Like Lily Taylor, mm-hmm. who um, I remember That's watching. So good. Um, I think I told you once, me and my friend Jessica used to like rent movies or buy movies and just watch mm-hmm. them like three or four times a day. Like, yep. And, and um, the remake of The Haunting was one of those. Loved it. Films oh, so good. We just Such a good yeah. one. And obviously... Lily Taylor is uh, like the main character in that with Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that her performance, especially near the end when she's pos- uh, possessed, tied to the chair, mm-hmm. I think that it's very raw, that exorcism scene. You know, it's very, very visual and raw and you feel like yes. very claustrophobic. And there's, I mean, the thing I can, is... I can... Go ahead, go ahead. I'm so sorry. I was going to say, <laughs> I don't very quickly, I was going to say, no, 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 I, I, we're, we're very passionate about this. I know, this is what I love about it. But um, I would say as well that the thing I love about that sequence is that everyone involved is not going, oh, come on, guys, you know, she's not possessed, she's faking it. Or, you know, there isn't that douchebag that's like pushing against it. They're all in it, you know, they're all right. believing, they're all in this scene, which is really visceral and violent and scary. And that's what I mm-hmm. really love about that sequence. And I think it's terrifying. Oh, I totally agree, you know, and I agree with you about Lily Taylor too. Like, I remember her from The Haunting, but honestly, when I was a small child, she was one of the kidnappers in the movie Ransom. Uh, you know, the super racist Mel Gibson movie. Uh, well, the movie's not racist, but Mel Gibson is in it. And she was one of the kidnappers. And I was roughly around the age of the child who was kidnapped when I saw it because my parents really didn't care about what I was watching. And I was just terrified of her because of her performance. Like, she was truly horrifying in an action film. So I remember seeing that scene and her making some of the faces that she made when she was subtly torturing this child. I remember just feeling like my body react and I got out of there and I was like, God, that woman is such a good actress. I'm wearing, like she put the demon on me when I was watching that movie and I'm wearing it now and I got to shake it off. So visceral. I totally agree with you. Oh, she's brilliant, and especially she's particularly brilliant in um, in the Conjuring. I felt like it was a very raw performance. And, Such a good uh, choice. Yeah, again, I feel like you know we were saying the film feels slightly unfinished. I do think that mm-hmm. that ties back to what we were talking about, where you know um, Ed and Lorraine's Warren fight against uh, the powers of darkness. It are a series of battles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one but not the war. I do feel like mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I feel like in some ways they maybe were thinking that this demon that was 
possessing this family would then maybe turn up in a, a following installment or an installment mm-hmm. later on in the franchise. So I feel like that's what they were going with. I don't. I think to defeat it like completely uh, mm-hmm. would like limit them to have that sort of villain or that sort of entity back in a in a upcoming um, like you know installment. Maybe with the right. next film, uh, right? Conjuring Three. Maybe they could bring that uh, entity back. Well, that's what I'm so interested in too, and actually do kind of appreciate a level of acceptance around is that like it is really more about that like when it comes to things like demons and religion and the occult like these are centuries old battles right like these are eternal battles that have been happening since you know the dawn of creation and what have you Mm -hmm. so in a sense they're kind of honoring that like that's the point here the point is to not think that these things are beatable it's to remember what it takes to endure them and every story is about enduring them in some way and how you know a family must rise to that occasion, how a family can come to the aid of another family to endure. And that's something I love about the second conjuring, right? Like the coming together of families that is happening even before Ed and Lorraine come to try to figure out what we can do here is really nice. And Maybe mm-hmm. that makes it easy to accept that they can't win. Is that, well, this family is, like, going to be okay. And they're holding each other. And they're not scared of each other anymore. And they're going to maybe be okay. And that's close to real life, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And I would uh, highly recommend to our listeners uh, that mm-hmm. enjoy this franchise to go, and wa- uh, to go and read or even listen, because there's a really good um, narrated version on Audible as well. Uh, the demonologist, the like the yes. cases of um, of Ed and Lorraine Warren, because there are some weird ones in there. Like, don't think that it's all haunting, guys. Ed and Lorraine Warren once was sent to investigate a guy that was supposedly a werewolf. Yes, I mean, obviously we'll, in we'll be touching that. Obviously, we're going to touch that because, yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing, too, is, like, their international presence was screaming for there to be a universe because they truly existed in a bigger universe than, like, America, you know, even though we sort of think we're the center of it over here. But, you know, they even superseded that. Their reach can go so much farther and... I can't wait to read the book and I can't wait to see what they do with that. You know, like that is one part that made Annabelle comes home, like pretty cheeky to me, but I didn't really mind it. I was sort of interested in where are they going with that? (laughs) Yes. And I feel like that Annabelle comes home and we'll get to it in um, very shortly was um, an unofficial conjuring movie. You know, even though it's part of the conjuring franchise, um, under mm-hmm. the the guise of an Annabelle film, I feel I feel like Annabelle Comes Home was The Conjuring Three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's also kind of part of what we're talking about with it being like this ongoing thing where you don't just win and it's over. It really is sort of like lots of battles. And so, like with Annabelle Comes Home, it's kind of like maybe that's leaning into that a little bit, but. I am curious mm. if, like, the devil made me do it, because that's also based on a real case, a real court mm. case that took place in the U.S. 
So in a way, uh, you know, again, they're showing like, here is another, here is another conjuring because it's simply just another case, <laughs> right? Like, because there is no three rule, a uh, three movie rule here, the conjuring is just an ongoing thing with its spinoffs. Yeah. Well, I hope so. I really do hope so. I really think that I know that James Wan isn't directing the third film. It's a different okay. director. So I'm hoping that maybe uh, it is it could the same writer? be a really... No, I don't think it's the same writer. I think it could be a really beneficial thing for it to have fresh eyes on it for every installment mm-hmm. coming up because, you know, it keeps it different and fresh. And uh, I'm really hoping that at some point they do come to Essex and film about the werewolf because that's my hometown, baby. Oh, I would I used love to be that. a werewolf. Yeah, I used to be a werewolf, but I'm all right now. Amazing. Yeah, I think I used to be a that's vampire, a really but I'm joke. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like it. I liked it, and I wanted to get in on it, and I got to the end of Vampire, and I had no rhyme, so I lost. I've lost. <laughs> I thought you did really well. I used to be a vampire, <laughs> but I didn't have much bite. There you go. That's just off the top so of my head. good. <laughs> I couldn't handle the change. Okey doke. Uh, before we move on to the Conjuring Two, uh, shall we get through the ma- the majority of these messages because we have nine plus. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes. So exciting. Okay, let's let's go. Hello, how are you? We're good. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Thanks. Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? That was fine. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, guys. Have you ever had an experience with the supernatural? I know I have, and it was like Emily Rose. Oh, God. Ooh. It was like that Emily Rose. horrifying. Yeah, that... That that doesn't sound good. I, I Emily Rose was pretty fuck, fucked up. I remember seeing that in a the theater and being like, oh, oh, this one's rough. This one feels a little grounded. Um, Jennifer Carpenter yeah. is next level in that shit. And Laura Linney, I mean, there's too many heavy hitters to not take it seriously. That's strange because I, I have seen Emily Rose. And I always remember mm-hmm. not fruity understanding... Uh, what it was about that film that made it so popular, but I think it was it because it was around the time that they re-released The Exorcist in the UK. Because, like I told you before, it was banned here until the early 2000s. That's right. so that was when we were getting mm-hmm. our Exorcist. So I think mm-hmm. that watching those two films close together, I just think maybe it just didn't have the impact, or maybe it felt like a bit of a knockoff. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I remember thinking, well, it's about a legal case. And so I remember thinking like, whoa, the fact that it's about a legal case, that's really like what's getting under, that's getting in my craw. Because ultimately, you know, that's part of like what the devil made me do it is going to explore again. That like when, like the law and the news and the whole entire public gets involved, there's something a little bit kind of creepy about how grounding that is. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Emily Rose creeped me out, but I haven't had a personal experience. Have you? Uh, no, not just a personal experience. I think that... Um, I, uh, I mean, I, 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 have a, I, don't... 
I have a camping yeah, story it's a really there, like, to pretend one, is yeah. one. <laughs> like, um, again, I, I grew up... Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, go on. No, 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 go, go. I was... Sorry. I was just going to tell a, like a silly story that I like to joke around about being my encounter with a ghost. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, which is a funny state, and it has a lot of folklore about like ghosts haunting all kinds of places. And so there's a book, and my friends and I went, and we went to this place called Gravity Hill, where you put your car in neutral, and it will roll backwards up a hill which it does appear to do, but from several angles, you can tell that it's a downhill. It just looks like an uphill. And we went there, we did it. And then on the ride back, I definitely somehow had the flu because for the next like couple days, I was so sick. And so I, mm. I, I just got the flu. But I remember being like, you guys, I was possessed. I threw it up. I threw it up. You guys. <laughs> like I definitely really embraced that I had a fun correlative narrative I could use. And I did go to Catholic school as a child, but I was expelled because I talked too much. <laughs> oh, man. So I guess really? those are personal experiences. You too much? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I have so many memories sitting alone in the nun's office for hours being punished because I was talking too much in class. And I'd come in there and they'd be like, still want to talk. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, come on. I want to go back to class. But then yeah. they'd be like, well, you're too loud. You can't. It was so annoying, but I bounced oh. back. No problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Horrible nun. See, mm. this is one thing we're going to learn from this chat is nuns are evil. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I think the only experiences I've ever really had is, we spoke about this before, uh, the small village near me called St. Osith, which um, mm-hmm. is one of the most haunted places in the UK that has like, you know, the, the witch trials and a haunted priory, you know, like um, it's called St. Osis after a nun that killed herself. What? So, um, oh, yeah. So that really happened somewhere? Oh, yeah. We've got like Whoa. literally down the road, a story of a nun that killed herself and then they named the town after her. And I actually live on a road that is named after her as well. Whoa, that is yeah. crazy. That is cool and scary and amazing. Absolutely. Look up St. Osith, especially the Priory. So O-S-Y-T-H. Uh, you'll find out loads of information. But uh, oh I'm going to get another right in the town. Here we go. Okay. Ah, this new thing is really, like, disorientating. Bear with. <laughs> uh, would you suggest uh, some horror movie, uh, you know, that... Uh... I haven't watched before for tonight. Oh. Ooh, for uh, tonight. Well, the Conjuring? Yeah, if you can. I think it's on HBO Max. So if you have HBO Max, that's there. Um, but I know the Annabelles mm-hmm. are on HBO Max, too. And I don't know. And can I know, you recommend well, one tonight? Well, The Nun is on think... Netflix. It is? Mm. Well, it is here, anyway. Um, you know what? It's not on Netflix here, because I had to effing rent it and what i thought happened was that it was doing that thing where like i swear all summer long every movie i rent immediately became available on amazon prime right after i rented it (laughs) so i was like don't do this to me again (laughs) this is why i get mocked all the time shani b about still being a collector of a hard copy of me too this is why this is why we do it because 
Sometimes you just want to watch a film and you can't find it anywhere. So, so true. Uh, this is why we are soulmates. Physical media is still alive and kicking. Yep. Hundo P. Hey, conjuring all the way. Watch it tonight. Enjoy it. Try to sleep after. Yep. Good luck with that. <laughs> Here we go. Um, hey, guys. Back again, huh? Talking horror movies. I love your conversations about horror movies. Um, and enjoy listening in. Um, the Conjuring Universe, it's, it's, uh, it's unique. I mean, um, um, you know, I enjoy The Conjuring. And I like that they were able to create this whole, as you guys have it in your, in your uh, title, a whole universe around that franchise because um, not only do you have the Conjuring films, you also have the Annabelle films which are connected, you have The yeah. Nun which is connected, and you also have the, uh, I think it's The Curse of La Llorona, if I'm not mispronouncing yeah. that. So, yeah, man, it's like uh, the first horror movie series or franchise that's actually been able to, to take that formula and make it work in, in a way that we haven't seen before in the genre. Uh, which is something that I can appreciate. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Thank you. Rachel, brother. Thank you so much. You're always, always welcome. Uh, you always come in with amazing comments on on uh, our shows and, and other shows that I do as well. So thank you so much uh, for that to start yes. with. Right there um, with us too. Mm, you're right, because I think that there has been sort of false starts, haven't there, with horror sort of universes like the dark universe that they tried right. to start with um you know with the mummy the that mummy. didn't do mm-hmm. very well with tom cruise and that sort of fell apart so we didn't have that <laughs> um i i think that if they'd started that dark universe maybe with in- the invisible man they would have mm. had more of a chance i totally but, agree um, yeah they screwed that up but you're right but at least annabelle wallace good. will get to come over and join us in a better universe. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I think that um, also what makes it, you know, is the time jump. They have a universe because they can go anywhere. I mean, obviously within the uh, the Conjuring core stories, they have to sort of stick to the Ed and Lorraine Warren timeline. But they mm-hmm. can use their creations. I mean, who's to say that we couldn't have like a crooked man story set in the eighties, or right? a nun, a nun story set in modern day. Oh, like, I really we... hope we do. Yeah. So these stories can jump all around, you know, in different time periods, different styles. I uh, wouldn't it be really cool to have a, a conjuring sort of spin-off uh, set in the eighties, but done in that style, like they did with the original conjuring. You know, in the, oh, in the sort be... of style of the, of the 70s. Well, honestly, that so... is the most perfect thing to do because the 80s in America are the time of being obsessed with the occult. So I think that the Devil Made Me Do It may have taken place in the 80s because it may have been related Ooh. to the occult. I, I can't remember what it... No, it, fuck. I was just looking it up last night, and now, of course, I'm going to forget, but it was basically about someone who said that he had been present at an exorcism and after leaving that exorcism, he had been possessed by an evil spirit because that's what later possessed him to then murder his landlord. And so it's like a situation that during a heated argument, he murdered his landlord and claimed he was possessed. 
And so Ed and Lorraine Warren come to investigate this. I'm pretty sure that's mm. what it is. I really hope I'm not totally making it up. <laughs> I think no, it does sound familiar. Case. But it does in the sound 80s, familiar. Uh, that was a huge thing. So you're so right. I think the nun needs to like get to 1980, you know, eight or something, <laughs> and just yeah. be yeah, be popping with color. It would be like a Dario Argento movie. It could be cool. Oh, okay. That because that's really interesting. Because uh, I was going to mention this. Um, remind me. Remind me when we get to the nun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, actually, I think I'm probably giving it away now. But I, I would have loved the nun to have the color palette of Suspiria. Oh. I, I, I think that that was a missed opportunity. That is the reason why I don't enjoy the nun as as much as mm-hmm. I do the other films. Is because mm-hmm. of the of the dull grayness. I find it very. Um, it's dark. I find it. It's too dark. Yeah, it doesn't really keep my attention. Like I'm not gonna lie to you. I've seen the nun a couple of times, and mm-hmm. um, I did a, a podcast with my friend when it first came out, and we called the uh, the segment the nun in a nutshell. And <laughs> That's um, so good. The nun in a nutshell was basically this was it. Quiet, quiet, quiet. None. Quiet, quiet, quiet. None. That was literally yep. our review of the none. Because <laughs> that is basically I mean, the whole plot right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, not uh, far from sort of like the experience. Because honestly, I've had to watch it a couple of times to follow its story because of that. Like, right? Like every couple of seconds, I'm sort of like, I mean, obviously, maybe we'll dig in a little bit more, but it's not necessarily worth the kinds of conversations that we'll, we could have about the other films. No, that's why we're going to leave it to last, because it could literally be done in, like, a couple of minutes. Okay, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, it's honestly just sort of, like, a, it's borderline paint-by-numbers with, like, too many jump scares that are confusing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, 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 it's, I agree, you know, like the, if it could have had a brighter color palette, like we might be able to sneak in once more in the 80s. I think it would have been so much scarier. It's dark as hell. You can barely see the effects. It's a waste. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Right, let's get through the rest of these ditties. Here's another one. Yeah. When you said about how um, ghost stories involve abuse of families, abusing families, um, and before you explained yourself, I had the image of like kids, you know, sound asleep and like their father coming in in the dead of night dressed in That's a sheet, sort of going, you know, waking the kids up, going, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. That's kind of the horror ghost family abuse picture that sort of entered my head <laughs> but i take it that um that probably didn't happen ever to anyone well, maybe well. it did <laughs> if anyone has had that happen to them i'd be interested to know if uh, they suffered any long-term negative effects <laughs> oh, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, my stepdad was the kind of dude who was openly, actively wanting to scare all the time. Like, any sleepover I had was outside my window, scratching at it, making noises, scaring yeah. all of us. And uh, so that was definitely scarring. But I guess I love scary movies, so scarring in a positive way. Um, yeah, it was interactive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it. that's the interesting thing about ghosts is 
they're trying to mirror these things that we can be haunted by in real life. They really are stories of trauma because, you know, being possessed or witnessing an exorcism, that is a traumatic event, right? Like it's a religious Mm -hmm. traumatic event, but it's still a psychologically traumatic event. Um, And, you know, like (laughs) that there, that's kind of interesting when they do tie La Llorona in is that they, they're like, let's also dance with, you know, psychology here. Let's like start dancing mm-hmm. with it because they did have to dance with it. Like people did, people who were skeptics of Ed and Lorraine were sort of like, aren't these people maybe just mentally ill and they're taking advantage of them? They're like, they did have to hit that. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, like the, the the main conjuring films sort of do give Ed and Lorraine Warren a bit of a free ride when it comes to the believability in their abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like that about it. I love the fact that they're they're never really like questioned or doubted. I like that. Gives you confidence. And they're so in them. confident. Yeah, they're so confident in themselves and their performances. And I do agree. It just gives you confidence in them. We don't need. We can be a skeptic if we want, but not of them, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Right, let's hit another one. Um, I got a question for, is it Shanib? I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name. Um, you're living in the United States, so I just wanted to know, have you made the horror genre pilgrimage to Ed and Lorraine's uh, museum in Connecticut? Um, just wanted to know. Um, I haven't made it there myself and I would like to go and see it just for the sake of seeing it but yeah just wondering if you've ever gone out there since you're in the US yes it's me Shani B and I haven't yet but I do plan on it sadly I live on the west coast so I'm so far away from it but I mm. do have some family on the east coast so I'm definitely going to get to that museum you know, now that I know, you know, that, that it's a little bit more, that there's more for me to discover in there than just sort of having gone because I saw The Conjuring, right? Like, they gave me a whole universe worth visiting now, like, borderline theme park, you know? Yeah, how many people do you think go to that museum and go, can we see the Annabelle doll? And they go, yeah, it's there. No, 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 but can we <laughs> see the, the real one? Well, that, that is the real one. No, really, can we see the real one? <laughs> You know, it's so oh true. My God, that, I would love you it. You know what I mean? Yes. So, uh, yeah, just to just to remind people that if you want to know what the real Annabelle doll looked like, uh, go yep. on to my Instagram and have a look because um, it's not what you imagine. If you've seen the film, it really isn't what you would think. But, nope. uh, yeah, really interesting. I'm wondering, um, you know, whether the museum is still going. I do hope so, because I, I do know that um, Lorraine Warren did pass away very... I'm sure it, I'm sure she... It was um, quite recently, actually. Yeah, she passed, that, oh, she it, died... It one of yeah, the April, April the 18th, 2019, she passed away. That's right. So, uh, because I remember at the end of one of the films, it said in memory, and I was like, oh, shoot, she just died recently. <laughs> you yes. know, I didn't realise... So she actually worked very closely with the makers of The Conjuring. And she also worked uh, very closely on Amityville 2, The Possession. She was a, a create, she was um, an advisor on um, Amityville 2. And she's, 
she's actually down as additional crew. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty awesome, you know, considering how we, you know, we spoke about the Poltergeist franchise and how, like, there was, like, a very real cultural situation happening where there are these mysterious, you know, death, uh, deaths and things like that. And, you know, it's kind of amazing that when they were doing Amityville, The Possession, they were like, let's, like, actually honor the reality here because if we're going to mess with something let's do it in the most respectful way possible and it's kind Absolutely. of cool that they the... consulted her yeah do you know the sequence in the conjuring where um ed and lorraine are giving a seminar they they're projecting and they've mm-hmm. got an audience she's also in mm-hmm. the audience as well she's in that she's actually in that sequence yeah wow yeah I mean, she's that's... in the audience Mm-hmm. I mean, that's also what I love about this being a universe is that they did. They were like, let's figure out a way to tie this neatly in a bow, just like you said. And it is nice. It's a nice place to visit because you can see all the sites. They have everything. Exactly. And it's lovely having her there because, you know, there are probably some things that um, she could really actually improve the story on. And it must be quite emotional for her because her husband had died previously. Uh, mm-hmm. He wasn't alive, unfortunately, um, for any of, to see any of the Conjuring films. So it must have been quite emotional for her to be on the set and to uh, have these films created, you know, about her husband and her when her husband was no longer with her, which is really sad. But I, I did wonder that, you know, in The Conjuring 2, when she, her, the character based on her is talking about, you know, imagining his death and, and envisioning his death and you know mm. i did think about how that must have been so strange to do but also yeah. i thought about how you know her character in this universe does have an ability to sort of see up those on the other side and you know who's to say that he is not present with her for her in these moments and actually sharing in that experience you know based on her uh, ability you know they Absolutely. talk about that and so I, I did think wow like if it is real I hope it is for her <laughs> right I hope she actually yeah. does have that skill so that they're together forever because I love them together thanks mm-hmm. you know in huge part to Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga but I love the Warrens I want them to be together forever in this life or the next or whatever is in between yeah. no I completely agree with you completely agree Right, let's get through the rest of these bits and then we can talk about The Conjuring 2 because I already know what my opening statement for The Conjuring 2 is going to be. <laughs> yes, can't wait. Here we go. Here we go. I hate to be a bastard, I really do. But can I ask, <laughs> did the Warrens, were they paid for these discoveries? Did they release books that they earned they money from? Was this yeah. their living? Um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, everything that comes with that. Um, because um, I was under the impression that um, they kind of um, sort, they, they kind of force their will upon the, pe- the, 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 the people they were helping with their discoveries and made it more of a, a story than it actually was so that they could then sell mm. books on 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 what had happened and you know make a tidy sum um but again like i say i i'm 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 a real amateur with this stuff so i'm up for learning 
Okay, I mean, that's, that's interesting. An, yeah, interesting to post. I will say, yeah, Go I ahead. will say now that I uh, completely uh, disagree with that because the Warrens themselves never actually released a book. They had books written about them, mm-hmm. but them, them themselves never wrote a book. The right, only thing that right. they had, and you have to remember, they were um, advisory people to the Catholic Church. So it was the Catholic Church that was sending them out to, to um, advise mm-hmm. on cases before the Catholic Church was sending an exorcist. Mm-hmm. So it, it was all advisory, really. I don't think they made much money at all. I think if they made any money at all, it would be from doing seminars and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, I guess they did speak on what they were doing, which in a way is also sort of like preaching. So it's not necessarily something that they probably wanted to get paid too much for. But I did think of that because <laughs> when I was watching uh, The Conjuring 2, I was thinking about how it like feels like season two of a show where it's like a couple of people who work in tech from home to like have home offices and all week they like punch the card and then they're like on the weekends we go on vacation and we do some exorcisms because I was curious about <laughs> how they like had a house right like they have a house they have a car they travel they have all this equipment and I did think to myself like how, how do they do that what are their jobs <laughs> yeah well I think it's advisory is their jobs you know like I feel I don't feel like they necessarily crashed the party. I think the party was brought to them and they would like pick and choose like their cases. For example, they were involved, like we've mentioned, in the Amityville case. Yep. The Enfield Poltergeist. Big, 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 you know, high profile paranormal cases. They were Mm -hmm. very, very um, sort of involved in and that was because they were approached. You know, and, I, and this is all coming from the book that I've read about them, The Demonologist, which is mm-hmm. fascinating. Um, in that book, it never paints uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren in any way, shape or form that they were doing it for the money. No. They were the doing films it don't either. They, no. They were doing it because they honestly really cared about the families and the people that were being affected by this activity, whether the activity was you know, paranormal or whether it was psychological or maybe there was Mm -hmm. mental health problems within the families, Uh, whatever the scenario, do you know what I mean? Like, for example, like if if they went to a family and and the family, you know, were anxious and had, um, were worried and concerned about what was going on around them, wasn't paranormal activity, but by the Warrens being there and maybe... Uh, getting a priest in to bless the house or maybe Mm -hmm. blessing it themselves and doing some kind of ritual um, which then made the family feel safe and then they went on and nothing happened because it might have been all psychological is that a bad thing is that a bad thing I don't think so I mean I totally agree I think that's part of why I like looking at these movies from the psychological and from the spiritual, because a lot of faith is based in belief, just like a lot of mental health is based in belief. You know, if you see something there and everyone in the room says that thing is not there, you are the only one that sees it. A lot of belief has to take place for you to say for you to trust them. (laughs) Right. And the same thing is Mm. true when one is being haunted in these films is that it takes faith in the person who is telling you this. Uh, to believe them and it takes faith in the per- faith in the person you're telling to be believed and 
that's kind of part of the, the torture of ghost stories is that like it's hard for people to believe you. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. So um, I am a massive fan of, or say fan, I'm fascinated, always mm-hmm. have been, uh, by the Enfield Poltergeist tape. So when it came about that The Conjuring 2 was going to be about the Enfield Poltergeist, I was so, so excited. And as um, if you head over to my Instagram, uh, guys, and have a look at a post, I actually went and took a photo a couple of years ago of the house in Enfield because I was, I was living in uh, Finsbury Park, which is probably about 20 minutes from Enfield. And I took mm-hmm. a little trip down there on a lovely, su- sunny um, summer's day and took a bus trip down to Enfield and saw the house and took a photo. And it's on my mm-hmm. Instagram now. And then I, I think someone commented on it. Did you go in? I was like, hell no. <laughs> Are you mad? <laughs> yes, I saw that. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah, mm. I really loved uh, The Conjuring 2. I actually prefer it to The Conjuring 1 just because it like ramps it up in such a way. And the child actress is so good. She is stellar. And I was mm. like losing my mind with how good she was. And I was like, the the filmmaking, this is like peak, this franchise for me. It's just so mm-hmm. tight. And everybody is so good in it. And yeah, I just, it made me be like, yes, I love that they, that it's not just like some stupid American folklore, that like there is a much larger story at play here and that it kind of gave them more credibility to me that like they, they're not going to discount other people for, you know, some of the reasons why I think Americans can do that all the time. Uh, they're going to share in human experiences and I love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, What's really what I really love about the the Conjuring Two is obviously we get a snapshot of what it's like. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some very very exaggerated uh, accents in the Conjuring Two. Um, <laughs> to a to a British person's ear, they're like, wow, right. they're they're borderlining Dick Van Dyke uh, on a on a number of occasions. But apart from I'm- that. I did want to know. I did want to know. I was like, I bet that, like, I, everything I think is good about this is actually wrong, right? Like, I was so curious. Yeah, fill me in. Yeah. Well, you know, the accents sometimes are slightly distracting. That's all I would say. But uh, they're all British actors, but obviously they're they're trying to capture a snapshot of the 70s, but also Mm. in in that area in London, like North London. You know, they're also (laughs) trying to snapshot that too. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, even though it was only sort of 40 years ago, um, speech patterns and accents have changed quite a lot in that time. But mm-hmm. what I will say is uh, the Enfield Poltergeist captured the imaginations hugely of the public. But when it actually comes down to the nitty gritty of the evidence and the actual claims of, of poltergeist activity, unfortunately... Mm-hmm the evidence is very thin on the ground because it was believed that the family had made it up. And, you know, there's that sequence in the film where um, Janet is caught uh, faking the activity by smashing up the kitchen. But yes. they actually thought the real, the real Janet, and Janet was the name of the real girl who lived in the house, mm-hmm. which I thought was great, um, mm-hmm. you know, was accused of doing that. And, and the sequences, you know, like you saw in the end credits, like the photos that were taken at the time 
and the photos mm-hmm. they used in the film, and they're pretty identical. Um, the only thing that sticks out for me, and and really sticks out for me, mm-hmm. is the fact that um, it's through what um, happened in the film, a policewoman really did witness a chair um, fly across the room. Amazing. I mean, honestly, that's another reason why I like The Conjuring 2 so much, because it does step up not only the level of, uh, like, skill and tricks we're going to have with, like, the filmmaking to animate things, but also the psychological stakes, right? Like, there is way less acceptance and welcome for what's happening to this family, right? Like, yes, they have some close-knit friends who care about them, but, like, the public is really looking at them like, you know, less than and going through this thing because, you know, they're not good enough or something. And I think really what stands out to me is that they did cover that because I thought to myself, that's an interesting thing too, is that sometimes when children are in abusive homes, they will say that they did this, they did this to get back at their parent. And that's not really true, but they say that because they're afraid of their parent. So there is something really interesting to me about tapping that in this story and so i just um, yeah again at, <laughs> you know i'm i'm nerding out <laughs> exactly and look at the snapshots that they sort of um give you they give you like the snapshots of when they're watching the tv and they're going through and they're seeing the queen and they're seeing margaret thatcher who was prime minister at the time uh mm-hmm. you know addressing the american president say telling him what she's wearing which i always used to think was weird um, you know, mm-hmm. they're watching all these very, you know, rich, regal people on the TV and they're a family living, you know, in three rooms, very poor, uh, mm-hmm. very downtrodden. And, you know, even to this day, people do actually put that case down to the fact that the mother wanted uh, a better house mm. from the council who gives out housing. So Got it. Yes. So okay. that that was a that was a huge um like sort of opinion or sort of thought in the press of that was the reason why it was happening. But there are so many things in that case that don't sort of make sense. And you have to remember as well that the mum mm-hmm. uh, ended up living in that house. It's pretty it's true what they say at the end of the film. The mum ended up living in that house until she died. She died in the same chair as <sighs> uh, Bill died in. You know, like, who, wow. who was supposed to be the person haunting the house. So, um... I mean, that's that's also, you know, the thing about those echoing traumas and, like, that trauma can echo in a place because the energy of it can be felt. And I think that's, you know, the effect with that chair and the, the that horrifying man, like, really good images mm. in the second one, just stepping up the the fun parts of scary movies for me. And so I like that, too. But it is interesting, Mm. you know, to bring in the social service element because La Llorona will go there. And though it's sort of like its own story and situation, it is also exploring the same kind of dynamic that takes place in America, right? That like Mm. Latino families in many ways are always involved with social services and social services is sort of always culturally incompetent when it comes to trying to help these families. And yeah. Yeah, it's just, I was thinking, you know, like, it's so interesting, they go do it in the UK, and then they go all the way to the West Coast to rock it over here, you know, like, not New York, not Chicago, not Miami, LA, 
you know, like very yeah. interesting. <laughs> no, no, I completely agree. Completely agree. I think that is actually um, thinking about actually two things I want to say about the country mm-hmm. too, uh, and then I and then I've I think I've summed it up. But the two things I really like: a that sequence when um, they first get ja- when they get Janet to to speak, and um, the, the the ghost asks them to sort of turn their back. That sort of thing, that sort of um, shot of uh, Patrick Wilson, but in the background, you've got a sort of out of focus Janet, and then she morphs into the older man. I so thought that was, sequence was so creepy. Really oh. great images. Yep. Absolutely. And I also, totally I, agree. I just want to say, like, how much do you fall in love with Ed Warren in the scene when he sings? And plays the guitar to that Elvis song. So sweet. All the way. I fall all the way in love. He is the best. And again, like, they do portray the Warrens and give the Warrens so much love in these stories. And that is kind of part of, I think, why, even though we know we might not be able to win here, we feel safe enough to try. Because they have this ability to make you feel welcome, make you feel like you're a part of their family. And, you know, like we were saying before, if that's really just some sort of placebo effect, why is that so bad? You know, it's kind of nice that these little girls who don't have a father figure who are now being haunted by a monster type male figure in their home. Why don't they deserve to just sing a little bit of guitar music? (laughs) You know, have like a nice guy look at them like he cares about them. Yeah. And not only the way that he looks at the girls, but the way that he looks at uh, Lorraine as well. It's just so sweet and so beautiful. Well, and another parallel I have to draw between this and La Llorona is, you know, they, the mother here is really getting the, the rap for, you know, maybe making the story up to, to get better uh, support from social services. And, you know, mm-hmm. in La Llorona, <laughs> it's the same kind of thing where, like, this woman has murdered her children out of a jealous rage for her husband. So the mothers are taking the rap for these monsters yeah. in both stories. And that's kind of interesting mm. to me. Well, again, we've got a very, very female-driven story. We've got the mother, yeah. we've got Janet, we've got the sisters. I know we have two brothers as well. One of the brothers mm-hmm. is hardly featured at all. You know, like I, I forgot he was there half the time, to be honest. Yes, um, me too. Yeah, you know, the one that sort of plucks up the courage to go into the kitchen. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even realise that he was he was there, uh, but he, he was. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so again, a very female-driven, strong story showing resilience and showing, you know, that fight back, that sort of um, unwavering, we're going to to defeat this we've got to stand up to it I will protect you you know like the mother being very protective Um, one thing I had to ask very very quickly one of the sequences that I found the most odd was the Mm -hmm. crooked man I did feel it was slightly out of place what did you think I agree I was sort of like I don't know I didn't know what to do with it because I guess I had already felt somewhat intruded upon by Annabelle being so connected to their story and mm-hmm. I, I wasn't an immediate uh, connector to Annabelle. I, I feel like I've since been like, yeah, that's cool. 
but I just don't love dolls being conduits. They, it just is annoying to me for some reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like if I have to, if I'm completely honest, even though I do, yeah. I did really enjoy watching them and I like the effects that these movies were able to get to. I just remember feeling like, whoa, they're sort of like overwhelming me now. Um, a la Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire, you know, when it was like a little too much in one story for me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. And I think that the the reasoning for introducing that character in Conjuring 2 was mm-hmm. really to try and get another uh, spin-off film from it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think I could sense that a little too strongly. Yeah, I do think that... Uh, there was talk of a Crooked Man film uh, quite quickly after The Conjuring 2, but for mm-hmm. some reason the news of that seems to have dissipated. Uh, mm. we're, we're getting more talk at the moment of uh, The Nun 2. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, right. Mm, we'll get on to. I don't know, uh, yeah, I don't know what's up shortly. with that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. So let's talk about, we've, we've, we've sort of gone into Annabelle slightly Mm -hmm. let's talk about the annabelle trilogy as sort of a whole uh because you've got annabelle then you've got annabelle creation and then Mm -hmm. annabelle comes home um Mm -hmm. i would say out of the three i really enjoy annabelle comes home but i Mm. do like creation as well what what was your opinions on the on the three i agree i What's weird is I don't I don't don't like considering them as just a whole in thirds. Like to me, it feels like they are one, three, and five of a five film franchise because of mm-hmm. how strongly different they each feel. Like you know, the original um, that came out is just such a small movie. It's doing like a Rosemary's Baby vibe, but with a doll, right? Like really simple. And then creation like seeks to go back and start to build, which is really fun, but it's a different kind of movie. And then mm-hmm. comes home is is yet another different kind of movie with like the teen element and bringing in a little bit more of that pop horror with the Wolfman character joining us as well. Like mm-hmm. I actually love them all as these wonderful separate entities because I can't pick. <laughs> creation is so good and so is comes home. I can't really pick. I love Annabelle too because I love Annabelle Wallace. So I'm, yes. I'm torn to connect them because I like them all so independently. No, absolutely. And I think it's great that, you know, every story needs a beginning. And I think mm-hmm. that creation did a really good sort of, a very, it was very good for them to bring that story into the, its early days. And I really, mm-hmm. really did enjoy that. And, uh, oh, and I think the ch- some of the the child actors Children. are yeah, so good. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Uh, excellent. Really, really good child actors. And also, mm-hmm. uh, let's, talk, let's talk about the little nods that they give to sort of um, mm-hmm. to The Conjuring and to The Nun, because I think, it's, I think it's in creation that there's a little nod, like a little nod to a nun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think it, I think it's in creation, isn't it? Or is it in... Yes. Yes, the nun who is running the who is going to be running the sort of uh, orphanage. That's the only word I can come up with. I don't think it's right, but is going to be running it. Um, she shows a picture of herself at the convent, which I believe is the one from the nun. And in the background, mm-hmm. it's like got one of those like reflective, you know, images where the nun's like popping out in the background. Yeah. 
Um, and I do, I do, I was like, yes, I'm excited for creation because we're going to be getting some seeds, but we're also going to be raising the stakes. And yeah, I, it's hard to pick. Oh, I can't. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, really, really great uh, actors in this mm-hmm. film. Um, uh, Lala, yeah, loads. Uh, um, you know when you say, oh, really great actors and you can't remember any of their names, but they were really good. <laughs> Lulu Wilson is the is not the main girl in the wheelchair. The main girl in the wheelchair has a really hard name to pronounce, so I can't, like, hold it in my memory. But Lulu Wilson is the little gal who gets to grace the cover uh, of the, I guess, like, graphic on HBO. Um, yeah. And she's the one who's, like, running around with the dolls, super cute, and also, like, challenging i would just really enjoy how like throughout this franchise there's so much trust placed you know not only in the women characters but the children who are girls like to go from the gal in conjuring 2 to annabelle creation i was like the bar is high and each of these bitches meets it like yeah (laughs) i felt you know so excited for both of them and how good they were no totally and it's uh, Miranda Otto, who I was trying to think of, who is uh, is great. I believe she plays the mum, I think. Mm, uh, yes. She's a, she's a great uh, actress as well. Yeah, I like Yeah, she's... Uh, is she um, in What Lies Beneath? Is she in... Is she OG Ghost ooh. Story in What Lies Beneath? She's the, she's the mother, right? She plays the mother in Annabelle Creation? Yeah, possibly. I always remember her from... She was in a TV show called Homeland with Claire Danes. Oh, uh, Homeland. Just, yeah, yes. that's what I really remember her from uh, recently and uh, a few other things as well. But, um, yeah, great performances in, in, in that. Even, even though we've got a horror film, a sequel, you know, mm-hmm. really played with great conviction and getting some great performers in it, which I think is, you know... Important. It shows a lot for the source source material, doesn't it? And the people involved when they can get big actors for what is essentially a sequel. Mm-hmm. For which they well, weren't involved that's... in the first one. Exactly. You know, there is an incredible amount of foresight into building this universe, kind of knowing, you know, now, I think through the Marvel model, what can be possible if you have an idea, but you don't want to just contain it in one film. Like, if you really have an idea and you really have, like, a, an entire space you want to explore instead of just staying in a box, you can really do that now. And the strings are so, are being, like, attached so well in creation. And I, I kind of love that it's, like, what should have been the third installment, but it just happens right away so that, like, in the future, you can watch them in order and it'll work fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because you can watch, I mean, we'll, we'll go give a running order at, at the end but there but if you wanted to watch uh the conjuring universe in its in its order um mm-hmm. in some ways it works some ways it doesn't because even in the films that are set first like the mm-hmm. nun uh the sting in the tail of the um of the story usually needs you to have seen like the conjuring for you to sort right. of understand that the uh the relevance to the franchise which is um which is interesting. But, uh, yeah, it always yeah. messes my head up when the nun opens with scenes from The Conjuring. 
And then I'm like, but wait, I thought it's first. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. It's supposed to be first. And so I agree yeah. with you. Like, even in order, it is kind of crazy. But that's, that's kind of okay in the Annabelle wing. You know, it actually does a good job, I think. Yeah. Well, it's basically saying, look, you know these characters. Uh, we're going to introduce you to the Warrens in, at the beginning of The Nun so that you feel comfortable enough to know that you are in the Conjuring universe. Right. And then, we'll be, and then we'll begin. I mean, honestly, I was really hopeful that somehow the Farmiga sisters were going to be the connection here. And so, yeah. you know, disappointment across the nun because I'm like, what if Lorraine's yeah. like great, great, whatever, or like yeah. even great aunt, you know, had the BOC, that would be cool. Um, so it was yeah. a little bit <laughs> disappointing that in connecting them, they also connected them in a way I didn't like. I always, I almost felt like that she came to visit her sister on the set of The Conjuring 2. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, we're thinking about making this film about the nun. Do you want to be in it? And she was like, yeah, yes. sure, I'll do it. Oh, you know I, I mean? absolutely so, imagine the same thing, you know, calling her up, being like, listen, I'm doing this franchise. Play young me. Do it again. You've done it several times. You're so good at it. Come and do it, please. And then yeah. I just imagine her being like, okay. <laughs> well, you never know. We've got an, another installment of The Nun coming. So hopefully um, she'll be in it and it could be a tie together. Um, you know, maybe tie the Warrens together in some way. Back to the nun. We never know. Love it. But uh, Love it. Annabelle comes home. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have obviously scenes in it of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Right. But technically, this is The Conjuring 3. Well, and that's also what's amazing about this is that, like, uh, there are, they're all sort of The Conjuring 3 in some way because they're all trying to build a, a universe off of a piece. And I agree, you know, like, I like that this one felt a little bit more like it was rounding out a franchise in a traditional sense, you know, more in the way you would a slasher rather than you do have to in sort of ghost stories where they've got to be ongoing because they're a war, not battles, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. I think um, setting this in the Warren's house, mm. you know, and, and sort of investigating those objects in the locked room, I think was a great sort of idea. Um, I, I wish they'd, they'd pushed it a little bit more. I wish we'd got a little bit more of like m- maybe a few more objects and learn the history of those. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed um, Annabelle Comes Home. And also, can I just say something? Annabelle Comes Home cost mm-hmm. 27 million to make. And it grossed two hundred and thirty one point three million. That is amazing. So I feel totally I feel like see. they Yeah, I feel like they do a good job of being really smart to the way they spend and how and what they spend on. You know, like mm. it doesn't feel like some of the overindulgent horror movies can be where they're like really throwing scares at you left and right. Like the scares are by design. And they're very effective and they don't need to like yeah. waste a bunch of money on, you know, extra um, special effects or something when they can use the classic horror uh, thing, which is just suspense and letting the audience do a little bit of the work too. 
Sure. And, and there's a lot of practical effects as well in these films, which I think saves them a hell of a lot of money. I mean, why do you need a massive CGI, like, monster moment when all you need is the turn of Annabelle's head, like, mm-hmm. to freak you out, you know? So I don't really quite yep. I can see why so many people rely on such a big budget when all you need a do- is a doll to, like, sort of turn its head very slowly to look at you which is 10 times more frightening. I mean, honestly, I thought they were going to do more to get me with that doll. I was really expecting them to kind of be cheap and go over the edge in that way. And so I did really appreciate how instead it was that classic vibe of like the suspense and me wondering what will happen rather than them showing, right? Yeah. Giving me the chance to see uh, before it might happen and not even happen. So I just build myself up. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just having a look into the future of um, the Annabelle series. So um, in, June, in June 2019, uh, Duberman, mm-hmm. who directed Annabelle Comes Home, commented on the possibility of another film in the Annabelle series. Um, he said, I didn't look um, at this process going in. Um, what other stuff can we absolutely spin off into the other movies? Uh, what works? I, I mean, I think he might be um, have a, a different accent to what I'm used to because his language all over the place. It's about what works mm. in this movie, and then if people seem to dig it, then we'll go from there. Mm. So, um, someone else commented on the possibility, stating that they will continue to develop and create films as long as mm-hmm. they keep having original stories to tell. The moment mm. that you start repeating yourself and really um, dilating the goods, that uh, goodwill that exists out there, then that's the mm-hmm. beginning of the end. So it sounds like that they're they're just trying to find maybe a story to tell. Yeah, I mean they're trying to find one that won't that won't be them selling out and doing what many horror franchises before them have. Uh, you know, and fall to doing something that's just popular at the time, you know, like Jason having an occult element and Michael Myers having an occult element. You know, they're going to try to figure out a way to not do that in in a way that then makes their franchise more laughable than horrifying. And that means Mm. that they do have to kind of take their time and put the same kind of consideration in that they have up until now. And I, I think they've done a good job. So if they can kind of honor the way that they focused on, you know, what matters in these stories and the effects and also don't spend bazillions, I feel like they can make these forever. They make so much money. Exactly. But I do feel that maybe Annabelle is obviously a really good route to go down because she's iconic. But I, I, I would mm-hmm. like to see like other Sort of characters from the Warrens brought into it. Um, yeah, me too. Let's let's listen to a couple of messages, and then we can move on to the Nun, and then we can talk maybe a little bit about what we know about the Conjuring Three, and then Perfect. I think we're we're done with the Conjuring franchise, which is uh, which is incredible. Now, right, so let's right? have a look. Oh my goodness, I'm still not used to this uh, this new messaging system. Bear with. Here we go. Um, I also wanted to ask you, Keith, have you gone on the, uh, the Jack the Ripper tour in London? Uh, last time I was in the UK, I actually went on that tour and it was very interesting. Um, 
just retracing the steps of the Ripper and where his victims were slain and stuff like that. Um, a true treat for uh, fans of uh, the horror movie genre. <laughs> um, not in a sick way, though, in a constructive way. Um, highly recommend that if you ever get the chance to do it. Um, also, I mean, I remember it was about 10 or 11 years ago I went to... Um, when I actually saw the Animeville house. Um, yeah. Didn't get to go inside because they have a yeah. big old fence around it, but saw it from the perimeter passing by, which, oh man, was very creepy because I've seen those movies and I know what happened in that house. <laughs> mm. Well, yes. it's the windows, the isn't they, it? It is. The house they filmed it in, um, they actually filmed in New Jersey, and it's right near where my grandparents uh, used to keep their boat, and I'm so sorry for that humble brag. But when I was a kid, they, they had their boat in the same marina behind it. So they used to just go over there and try to, like, steal coffee and donuts from the set when people were filming because they didn't take it seriously <laughs> at all. So there's yeah. a lot of, like, local lore about Amityville. And so that one's good. But you and me, we got to go on that Jack the Ripper tour. We're, well, I've been on the Jack the Ripper tour. And uh, mm. sorry for the shameless plug, but if you're still listening... Um, then please do go to uh, back way back to the 14th of January on my stereo chats. I did a really, really in depth, and when I say in depth, I haven't researched something as much as I did with this chat, um, than I did when since school, probably. So I did a Jack mm -hmm. the Ripper chat, uh, with Mrs. Smitty, uh, called Amazing. Stereo Mysteries Jack the Ripper, and we went really in depth into. Um, pretty much every scenario of Jack the Ripper. We Whoa. talked about the cultural, political, and social uh, impacts that were going on in the UK at the time. It's a it's a Amazing. really good conversation. Uh, that was on the Ooh, 14th I'm gonna of go January. To that. It's it's really interesting. But what I will say is, I have been on the Jack the Ripper tour, and what I really liked about the tour that I went on in Whitechapel was that the mm -hmm. the, the tour guide had a, what they called a projection pen. I'm probably showing uh -huh. my age here because I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread, but everyone was going, oh, yeah. Those they're, things they're are cool. Used. Yeah, but he projected, like, old Victorian posters onto the walls, which was really yes. cool. But he also mm -hmm. projected images of the bodies of the women on the <gasps> floor where they were found. Whoa. That is, yeah. that's so sick. That is the coolest thing ever. I am with you on it. <laughs> that's so mm. cool. It was really interesting. So, uh, biracial brother, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you ever come to the UK again when all this COVID nonsense is over and done with, uh, I'd love We're to go again. Um, we should get a, get a group of you to come over because I know that you're coming over, Shani B, for that's right, best and goodness knows what else. So, yeah, can you wait for that, love? Right, let's hit the next zissy. Here's a true nun horror story for you. There was a nun um, captured, I think it was in the 17th century, and uh, she was imprisoned in a dungeon and she went insane and she constantly Ooh. bashed her head against the, the uh, stone wall until eventually she actually grew a horn on her forehead. It sounds bonkers, but the bones started protruding and in the end it had to be cut off because it was going into her eye. But um, that's Whoa. a pretty sick, twisted story that is definitely true, um, involving uh, crazy awesome. nuns. So uh, some scriptwriter needs to get on that one. That is amazing. I mean, what? 
a story. Holy smokes. And can I just warn people, please, if you want to look that story up, do not type horny nun in Google. <laughs> yes, you probably serious disclaimer. Like comes up. Yeah. Serious disclaimer, guys. <laughs> you won't so like true. what comes up. <laughs> wow, that's good. Yeah. Thank you nice. so much, Alex. Right, next one. Oh, that's true, Keith. I can imagine people asking, where is the real Annabelle doll? <laughs> Not realizing <laughs> so that true. it's actually the Raggedy Ann doll that they have in the glass case. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. I, I don't know. I guess you're either a fan or you're not, and that either proves you are or proves you're not. <laughs> mm. Mm. Very I true. I mean, it is creepy. It is creepy, that doll. But at the same yeah, time, I mean... they've, they've mm. really taken dramatic license with it in the film. <laughs> they truly have. They truly have. <laughs> right, we've got two messages left, and then we're going to talk about uh, the nun and then the possible um, upcoming... Conjuring three, the devil made me do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and here we go. Yeah. Oh, hang on a minute. Here we go. Here we go. Oh my <laughs> god, I've just seen the picture on your Instagram. It's adorable. I would well, um, <laughs> you know, cuddle up to that doll and, uh, you know, <laughs> right, um, you. have a have a lovely night's sleep. I think this is a very misunderstood doll. Poor thing, been bullied all its life. Um, it's um, it's a cute little thing, but really, yeah, you're right. Not what I imagined at all. I love there you it. Go. It's true. I'd like yeah. to see the horror comedy version of that, um, where you know it's a lovely doll that's sweet that people just bully and like are yeah. scapegoating all the time. <laughs> that is the sort of absurd version. Sure. If you've just joined us, guys, and you just want to know what that was about, if you head over to my Instagram. I put a picture of the real Annabelle doll and I was just really uh, amused or bemused by uh, people's reactions about how different the dolls look. Like one of them does, like uh, gently said, just look very sweet and misunderstood. And the one in the film looks like it's going to rip out your voice box without a hesitant thought. uh... Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Okay, let's listen to the next message. Um... Just putting this out there for the sake of putting it out there, but um, my dream movie with regards to the whole Conjuring universe would be a film that connected that universe to the Insidious universe. Um, probably will never happen, but if it did, oh man, that would be one hell of a good movie. It's a shame that it won't happen, though. Well, yeah. I mean, I exactly want that. There is, I, I think I would like that. I think I would. I would be down for that. But I think it would. I, I'd be down for it if it kept its period setting. Mm. Yeah, you know? like Patrick Wilson would have to be a relative of Ed Warren, right? Like we'd have to figure out a way because he's in both. You know, he is the the main guy in both of these situations, which I kind of love too. You know, he is a scream king and we're talking about all the women in this franchise, but you know, Patrick Wilson is, he's definitely standing up and being, he's being the connection there. So it's, it's possible that Farmiga sister style, he'll just be, you know, in a soap opera esque moment, uh, you know, maybe his own twin brother or something. (laughs) 
Do you think that it's quite difficult to do that kind of thing with these franchises because they are based on real people? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that too is like kind of what makes it strange when you are trying to expand in some way and instead of connecting it to the people, you kind of have to connect it to the evil. And so I think they are successful doing that so far. But yeah, that is the interesting part of The Nun is that like they're connecting it to the evil because even though they know that IRL, these two women are related and they could very well play relatives to each other, that's not going to actually be something they can follow forever because that grounds it, you know, a la Star Wars, where now like we're stuck forever with Luke and Leia and Han Solo. Yes. Oh, no, totally. I think that if we had an episode or an installment of the Conjuring universe that brings in that sort of um, that red demon, like from mm-hmm. the dreamscape, I, I wouldn't be too sad about that. Uh, they could I do it, it like that, you know, bring in the villain mm-hmm. in rather than bringing in linking characters. Very smart. I like that, too. Yeah. And maybe Absolutely. even linking, you know, like the the um, uh, what's the word? Uh, the paranormal investigation element too, you know, like the Warrens are a very famous group of them, but they did explore a woman who did it in the insidious universe. And so maybe there's also something there that like, what are other ways people have investigated paranormal things? And mm. I don't know. I'm curious. I would be curious. I, any, I'll take more of these. Any way to get me more of these at the level they're at right now, I'll take. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Let's hit the stick. Whether I'm a sceptic or not, um, obviously these films sound really cool. Um, How would you recommend getting into them? What order should you watch them in? Um, Because I really have no idea, but um, I'm going to get into it tonight. Um, So any help would be much appreciated. I personally would say uh, order of release. Yeah, yeah, when they came out, you know, not the timeline that they're based in, but when they came out, and I agree, I think you might be able to switch around one or two to maybe help you remember details, but I don't think it's, like, worth it, because I agree, like, the more that I am thinking about it, I do think that Annabelle Comes Home feels more like The Conjuring 3 than it does Annabelle 3, you know, and, like, again... Annabelle, I think, can be spread out to be more like a one, three, five with some conjurings in between, you know, or La Llorona in between or something. So I'm not sure, sure. timeline-wise. Yeah, I don't know how, how I feel about moving La Llorona or, like, what order she needs to be because she's almost, like, parallel to this universe. Like, she could be watched last. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? I, I think you're right. I think it, she could definitely be watched last. I do think that watching it in... Uh, order just for me it, it respects the, the filmmakers because obviously you're watching the progression of a story going backwards and forwards mm-hmm. to how they envision it so I always think that watching things in order is how like the, how the creatives uh, wanted you mm-hmm. to to, um, to experience these films so what I would say is just go Google the Conjuring universe uh, then just look at the order in which the films were released and watch them in them. But I do agree with you. Some films could be swapped around. But, mm-hmm. uh, I, but personally, for me, when it, like when I've gone into franchises that do sort of what The Conjuring do, like switch around mm-hmm. a little bit, I always like to watch them in, in release order. So I just feel like it's a safer way of doing it. you know. Because like, if you go, well, I'm going to be clever and I'm going to switch this around, 
sometimes you might see something that could spoil another movie. Yeah, it's sort of like if you're a fan of the universe and the content, then try to watch them in, uh, you know, order of what they they claim the universe is. If you're a fan of like the films and what they're doing and the way they're being made and all that they're accomplishing as they come, that's why I agree with you. I like watching them in order of release. You know, you get to see mm-hmm. the filmmakers learn and build and come up with new solutions, which is yeah, it's such an exciting thing to me, but it's not quite like the fan version of going into the universe and following the thread, you know, like sure. being in the dream versus interpreting the dream. No, exactly. But then like saying that if you were to do it in the order, for example, that the, of the year that the film is appearing. So, for example, mm-hmm. the earliest film, I think, would be The Nun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you watch The Nun, then obviously the end of The Nun then is a twist ending, but a twist that you'd only really get if you watch The Conjuring, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in some ways you could enjoy it. It, it. It's up to you. Personally, for me, I would say release order, but there could Agreed. be some fun in mixing it around a little bit. For sure. Yeah, I think yeah. I... I, I like where your head's at, but this time around, based on like what was easiest for me to access and you know running time so I could squeeze them all in, I watched them in a yeah. very random order, and it was still also okay. So I think they're cool. each you know good in their own right. You know, even even though I don't love the nun and it's not my favorite, like there's some fun stuff there that I do enjoy. You know, each of them both fits into this universe and is its own thing. You know, I like that about this this space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, um, well, let's talk about The Nun very, very quickly. I mean, I'm, get, I'm just going to throw it out there. The Nun, for me, is the weakest film in the mm-hmm. entire franchise. You know, like right. there is, um, there are elements of The Nun that I think work. Mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the plot is garbled. I think it is yeah. so full of yep. of tropes that actually just make you slap your forehead and go, really? Uh, oh. Two words, Jesus blood. Dude, I have been calling it the BOC, blood of Christ, um, because that's, <laughs> you know, that is the shorthand I've decided works here. But it, it is yeah. funny to me because it feels like it's sort of like trying to capture some Da Vinci code elements also a little yeah. bit of the exorcist it wants to sort of bring in some of the like biblical references of dante's inferno it's like really going in on too many things because i think it's trying to say if we are coming first then we really have to blow out setting up this universe because we know one place it's going but we want it to be able to go even farther maybe and there's something mm. kind of interesting about how both annabelle comes home and the nun are also testing waters, right? Like they're both testing the waters. Just one is testing the waters of like, how much of this stuff do you guys actually like? And the other is how yeah. much of this stuff do you guys actually like? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, the nun is, I think that, it's an experiment. Yeah, a lot, yeah it is. And it, and it doesn't pull it off at all. Like it really does fail. Don't, don't get put off from watching it because there is a really, really interesting fun stinging the tail to the nun mm-hmm. which i really really like uh which mm-hmm. i think if if the film was a little bit more sort of coherent and planned out and there weren't characters in there just for, to be there for 
sort of um, continuity's sake, like for right. example the the the, uh, the priest or the father in it that just seems mm-hmm. to literally stumble around through the whole film, adding nothing to the plot, zero to the plot. Seriously, um, I mean, basically always supplemental information, which I thought was kind of interesting. That like uh, he, she was like, okay, I'm the one who can like basically lead this ish. But he was like, yeah, but I am having visions too. Can I share them with you? And I do yeah. think that's also part of why the plot doesn't work because he's not supposed to be able to have visions. So any vision he should be having should be created by the demon. They introduce that Tysa's character has visions and that they are visions from the Lord. So that's why she's able to see the nuns who come and pray with her. And so yeah. it's like, it is interesting that like, what is he there for other than to be like, she's come up with all of it, except there is one piece we can put in his hands. Oh, point to this. But it doesn't make sense. Cause yeah. And gave it to him. Well, he has <laughs> the storyline like... of a garbled, doesn't he has a garbled storyline of an exorcism gone wrong and therefore is haunted mm-hmm. by this sort of demon child, which is just, okay. All right. Been done a thousand times before. Um, right. You know, I feel like the script is not great, but listen, I'm not, I'm really not trying to put you off. This is an, an hour and 30 minute movie. Like, and it it. Is, get through it for the end. That's what I'll say. Like, literally struggle for it. There were even, I've seen it before and I knew what sequences were coming up. So there were a few sequences that I did fast forward um, mm-hmm. because I, I just knew that they were quite drawn out and I knew what was going to happen at the end of them anyway. Uh, right. The Nun is a very opposing sort of figure i think much better handled in the conjuring too i think the mm-hmm. uh, the sequence in the um in the warren's house with the painting is mm-hmm. so effective in the conjuring too i wanted more so of that good. with yep. the nun like it just seemed to be like camera pans nothing there camera pans back none camera yep. pans that way nothing there camera pans back none <laughs> you're like okay I get it. Yeah, I just think yeah, the visual was... style. Yeah, which I is totally why I agree. said, you know, having it a bit mm-hmm. more sort of Dario Argento, a bit more colour in there, maybe a little bit more of a, the style of the fifties. You know, maybe in yes. its um, execution, like we had with The Conjuring, where you know, set in the seventies, but that very much the filming style. I felt like we could have continued that on to, um, you know the nun maybe have a bit of more avant-garde uh sort of thing yes. going on but no very dark you might need to turn the contrast up on your tvs to watch it because some sequences mm-hmm. are very dark uh, yeah, it's, yeah it's so hard to even see red right like there's a lot of blood in it and all the blood is purple and black nothing yeah like, obviously that's like you know part in and of itself part of this black you know goo is a big part of demons and stuff but like the blood you know should also be pretty important it's the boc and it's like there's barely any of it and then she just spits it dog who wastes the boc by spitting it in someone's face <laughs> disappointing super yeah, disappointing, disappointing <laughs> except for the last Minute. Moment, minute and thirty seconds. Mhm. Which is when you see how it ties into the bigger picture. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think that that's my favorite part about this universe as a whole is that there is some care and some interest and excitement put into tying them together, so that they can stand mm-hmm. alone if if you want them to. 
but they're also thoughtfully connected. And some ways it seems simple, but that's also what's great about it. I do love yeah. the ties. So, um, oh, I can never pronounce it right. The Curse of La Llorona. Is that right? Yeah, La, I think it's La Llorona. Like two L's make a Y sound, but that is some oh, Lu- freshman okay. year of high school info. So <laughs> please don't hold me to it. Please don't hold me to I it. I did French. Um, I did French, so I had no idea. <laughs> but um, yeah. Michael Chase, who directed that, it has mm-hmm. been chosen to direct The Conjuring 3. I mean, I, I'm curious, right? Like, I think there's actually a lot of really interesting filmmaking in La Llorona in terms of, like, the way he was capturing the space. Like, I didn't like that there was a lot of CG. It felt like there was a little too much CG for me. But I did really like introducing all of the legends and, and a little bit more information about other kinds of ways people interpret and experience religion that isn't just like classic Rome or like Americans, right? But that like also spreads it out to sort of like, hey, you know, religion isn't a a thing that only exists in two places. So I, Mm -hmm. I am interested to see, you know, now that he's been able to sort of explore, you know, I guess a story that brings in a little bit more, you know, Latinx uh, content, which frankly I love making fun of because it's like this you know it's folklore that that is not American with a white lady at the center of it who like has Latino children so like she's in you guys but I I find it kind of hilarious that the main person of that story is is a white lady kind of a bummer yeah (laughs) yeah like I think he did the best he could with what was going on there but I don't know do you think he's gonna do are you like excited for him to direct um, uh, I would have preferred James Wan to come back and do it because I feel like it's his baby. Uh, mm. I know that he's heavily involved in the producer role and he obviously uh, has come up with the story. Uh, the actor yep. writer who's got one of the longest uh, names, I think, in Hollywood history, <laughs> David Leslie Johnson McGor- Goldrick. Oh, Ugh. David okay. Leslie Johnson McGoldrick. Okay. Um, he um, is the writer for The Conjuring mm-hmm. 3. He also uh, worked with James Wan on writing The Conjuring 2. He wrote uh, Red Riding Hood, some film that was some vehicle Not for great. Amanda. No, um, as it started, um, Save Pride or whatever her name is. Um, mm-hmm. After she was in Mamma Mia, it was sort of like a vehicle for her, wasn't it? Uh, Orphan, oh, so bad. from the film Orphan. Ooh, very good. Hmm. And he was I also like uh, a writer with James Wan on Aquaman. So a completely Ooh. different genre there. Okay, we're so, all over uh, the place. And so we'll have to see if we can contain. Yeah, exactly. Good casting. Uh, you can go on IMBD and type in uh, The Conjuring 3 to see uh, the upcoming cast. Uh, the chilling story of terror, murder, and the unknown evil that shocked even experienced real-life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, one of the most sensational case- cases from their files. It starts with a fight for the soul of a young boy, then takes them beyond anything they've ever seen before to mark the first time in U.S. history that a murder suspect would claim de- demonic possession as a defense. So good, son. And I can't mm. wait. I will be there. I'll be there. I'll first in queue. I'll be there on opening night. 
very excited. I just hope that um, that even though James Wan is producer, that he's had a little bit more to do with it than just you know standing in the background. And I, I really, Agreed. really, really hope that like Wan is is having a massive input here um, because I do really honestly believe that. The Conjuring would not be the same without him. I feel like it's his baby. Yeah. I'm I'm really shocked actually that um, I agree. that he's not directing. Yeah, I mean he he is just so crazy busy. He's got so much going, and he is so versatile, right? Like while we are definitely coming to see him as like a really important figure in the horror genre, he is not limited to that. He's actually doing a lot of good work across platforms here and genres here so that this dude is oh yeah af i just agree with you like i think this is his baby and i do wish he was coming back but you know what i like the universe enough to play in it and so whatever we can get here i'm sure i'll find a way to enjoy it because like we're saying the nun's not perfect but it's it's worth watching it's there's enough there quiet 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 none quiet 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 <laughs> none there you go i've just yes. given you the whole plot Okay, yes. I know you've got to go, Sweet Pete. So let's get through these bits very quickly. And then uh, we can say au revoir. And then we can talk behind the scenes about what our next yeah. franchise is going to be. Thank you to the, the mass amount of people that have just joined us. Trust you all to come in at the end. But we have been talking about the uh, the Conjuring franchise, uh, the Conjuring universe. And if you are interested, please do go back and listen to the show um, after we finish. Because it's a good one. It's a good one. Here we it go. It really is. Oh. New messages, I can't do it. If you had to pick someone from from out of the nun and Annabelle, who would you be? Oh, good question, Riley. Um I'm doing the nun. I'm going full yeah, nun on it. I think I'd have to go full nun. I think I'd look good in a wimple. Mm. Yeah, you would. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I was thinking she's gonna say no. But I, I, yeah, I think I'd rock it. a wimple. Okay, I'll ro- I, me and you rocking wimples. That sounds mm-hmm. like a good. That's really difficult to say. Rocking wimples. There you go. Rocking wimples. It is. That's the name of our band. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but uh, another little uh, non-story for you. Um, okay. During World War Two and the Battle of Britain, they believed okay. that um, German, you know. German soldiers would parachute um, into um, into Britain, and they believed that they would be disguised as nuns. And so, anyone who came across a nun was told to check their hands to see if they had hairy hands, because that Whoa. would be the giveaway that it was actually a German spy and not a real Sick. nun. So, uh, yes, that's uh, nuns. Uh, nuns were big, uh, big worries during the war. I mean, that Did he might say be hairy hands or yeah, hairy that might hands? Be... I think hairy hands, like, you know, on the top there, <laughs> as, as some of those manly men tend to have. But that's kind of amazing, you know, because they do say yeah. that in The Nun, World War II's bombs, they do break open kind of like the hell mouth, if you will. So they are connecting mm. that, like, you know, evil and Ooh, war... Yeah. They are a thing, not just in terms of the way these stories are going to work, but like in a literal sense. I just want to throw this out here very quickly. Was the opening mm-hmm. of that portal in The Nun 
the reason why all of these demons were being released in the other films. Like, for example, the reason why, um, you know, the thing was happening with Annabelle, the reason why that demon was taking charge in the in the conjuring you know was it the reason was this energy release that was sort of revitalizing you know all of those demonic entities mm-hmm. i mean that's what i am wondering that's why you know again i am interested in continuing to follow this franchise as long as they can kind of keep the consistent level of care right like don't overspend Absolutely. and keep the standard you've set because you know a lot can be happening so, um, yeah, just just keep them coming, frankly. Absolutely. And, guys, just to remind you, if you head over to my Instagram, uh, you can see a picture of the real Annabelle doll, which is, um, in some cases, freaky. Some might laugh at it. And also Hilarious. you can see a picture of the real house uh, that I took a couple of years ago of the Enfield Poltergeist house in Enfield. Surprise, surprise. But, uh, yeah, go and have a gander yep. because it's quite quite interesting to have a look at. Right, last two ditties. Here we go. Have you guys seen The Curse of La Rona? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please go back yeah. and listen. We talked a little bit. We, we will talk more, I'm sure, in reference later when uh, The Devil Made Me Do It comes out. But go back and listen. We absolutely did. We have. Thank you very much, uh, Avi. Avi, Avi. Here we go. With um, the Marvel Universe, I think one of the reasons it's been so successful is because they've got uh, Kevin Feige, who's sort of like uh, the overlord of the Marvel Cinematic yep. Universe and sort of yep. keeps everything in its place. Is there an equivalent for this cinematic universe? Because I feel like that's a really important aspect in getting it right. You do need sort of someone at the top that's moving all the pieces around and has the whole picture in the head before they even begin. So um, is, is there a figure like that in, um, in, in, this, in this universe? Yes. James, James Wan. Wan, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So James Wan is, although he has been massively distracted, I think, over the last sort of couple of years doing uh, films for DC, i.e. Uh, Aquaman, and I think tying mm-hmm. into uh, some of this Justice League uh, <coughs> nonsense. Yep. Uh, but, yep, yep, yep. Uh, yes. Um, so much so that he's not coming to direct... Um, the Conjuring 3, like we mentioned earlier, which is very upsetting. But uh, what can you do, eh, Shani B? What can you right. do? Right. <laughs> right. Shani B's got a scoot. I'm going to scoot as well because I'm I'm going to um, watch... Well, I've got plans to watch tonight. I've got something, but I can't remember what it is. It's queued up already and I can't remember. But it is Buff something. Enjoy or it. something. I will. I will enjoy whatever it is. But thank you so much for joining us, guys. Please do... Follow the love of Shani B and follow me if you want to. If you if you if you're a glutton for punishment, please do follow moi. Yes. And, and let uh, us know, yeah. you know, like I wanna know what franchises everybody else loves because you and me we're always in, in line and I wonder what are the what are the ones that we don't care for that others are like, This is the best. Yeah, please do let us know. Hit us up on Instagram. You can follow me and uh, Shani B on Instagram. Both of our accounts are linked here on our stereo bios. So if there's any franchises that you'd like to talk about, please do uh, message us. Um, even if we are not fans, we will definitely 
definitely try and uh, accommodate you, even if we have to mm. thread through them like clockwork orange style with our eyes peeled open uh, to get through yeah. it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, yes, uh, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, we've got a couple of messages, guys. Sorry, we can't play them, but Shaby and myself do have to leave. But um, uh, someone we'll said be back that we soon. should do. Yeah, someone said that we should do the Insidious franchise. Uh, we definitely will do uh, that at some point. Maybe not Absolutely. in the near future because obviously we want to try and do a variety of different things. Uh, Word. Uh, yeah, a lot of people are talking about um, the Marvel Universe and, and uh, the correlation between the two things. So, yeah, sorry we can't hear your messages, guys, but we do have to scoot. But, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Annie B. Yes, thank you. I love talking with you. I can't wait for the next time. 